Please follow in the reading of God's word. Verse 11. Also, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will to the end that we who were the first to hope in Christ would be to the praise of his glory in him. You also have after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of your inheritance with the view of the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. Father, thank you. Thank you for this this text and the amazement that is here. And Father, I have been begging you all week to help me make clear this text because, Father, it is so so urgent in this day and age. And, Father, I just pray that my brothers and sisters here today, hearts will open and they will see in amazement who it is we serve. We love you, Lord, and we praise you in Christ's name. Amen. Remember, we're looking at this because we're looking at right now the inheritance guaranteed. And we're looking at the Trinity's plan. We started out in verse 3 with a view of heaven before the foundations of the world. What was God coming about with? And that's when you and I have were saved. Okay, now you may not like that text. That's fine. Just mark it out of your Bible. Okay, but what I want you to understand is that when we look at this, there is so much theology in these three verses that it is for a pastor, for a student of the book, for someone who's supposed to be able to teach it. There's times I look at it in great clarity and it's like, whoa. And then I realize that when I explain it, it's just going to be muddy. And you're sitting there going, wow, this is going to be great, man. I'm just excited. Okay. Because I mean, I, even this morning, I was going back over this in, in, in the Sunday school hour. And I, you, I found myself getting up with my notes in my hand, walking around in my office. And I thought, well, what am I doing? And it was because I was looking at all of this going, whoa, dude. That's a theological term, sort of like warp and woof. It's just, whoa, dude. Okay. So anyway, in Christ, whom we've received. In Christ. And I started in this thing here on the ground of our inheritance. And I showed you last week the divine perspective. And that's at verse 11. And I mean, that is a tough verse for people. Because... We have obtained an inheritance. Okay, amen. We got that. All right. Having been predestined according to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will. Predestined his purpose, his will. And that drives people nuts sometimes. Well, well, what does that mean? Exactly what it said. You have the inheritance through his purpose. You have the inheritance through his will. Okay? You have the inheritance because he predetermined it. Now, if you don't like that, it's like I said, just mark 11 out. I just won't read 11. I'll just go from 10 to 12. Okay? That's God's side when God looks at it. See, here's one of the things that I have found fascinating in my years of walking with my king. What God starts, God finishes. Okay? But I want you to see something on the ground of your inheritance that it's it's amazing. Verse 12 is our side. What is our side of the ground of our inheritance? Okay? The reason God does it from his side is that we should be to the praise of his glory. You got that? 
If you look at salvation through the 66 books of the Bible, it will always be from God's perspective. Why? Because it is the praise of his glory. All right. And, you know, I look around at the evangelical community today and I don't see anybody giving him the praise for his glory. I see a lot of stuff happening. But I have never, ever seen. Do you understand that this salvation event, I call it a salvation invasion. is to the praise of his glory. Salvation is always presented from God's side. Why? So God gets the credit. Now, I had a discussion. It's been, I think, a couple of years ago now. I think it was cowboy camp with a young man who, I don't know what side of the bed he got up on, but it must have been a bee's nest when he stepped into it because he was mad at me. And I don't even remember exactly the text that I was teaching on, but he was mad at me. And he came up to me after one of my messages and he looked at me and he says, does that mean God wants a lot of the credit or all the credit? My response was simple. Yeah. Absolutely. God wants all the glory. He wants all the praise for himself, period. That's it. The reason we struggle with that is that. Because we can't really grasp the pure, holy right to glory because we're sinful. We're sinful. So when we see someone going after the glory, we immediately think what? Ulterior motives or something wrong here. And we always seek glory for the wrong reasons. So we know when another seek that glory, they seek it for the wrong reasons. Okay, here's how we do it. No one appreciates me. I didn't get an attaboy. I didn't get a raise. I didn't get this. I didn't get that. Why? Why do you want glory? Why do you want that? See what I mean? We do it because that is our nature. Listen, do yourself a favor. Do not place that attribute on God. Okay? God seeks it for the right reason. You know why God seeks His glory and praise? He deserves it. I mean, this, this isn't deep theology. You're sitting there going, oh, hey man. God wants to be praised. Yeah, we use the word, uh, worship. Okay, that root word is the word worthy. We worship because he is, he is worthy. Okay. He, he is the glory. Years and years and years and years and years and years ago. Maybe even a few more years ago. Uh, I got into uh, mountaineering. And I mean, it was, <laughs> I look back on that and think, gee, even Gregus, what was I thinking? Of course, right now, my elbows and knees and everything else hurt because what was you thinking? But anyway, we were up one time just south of a town called Westcliff. There's the Wet Valley. And the whole western range is called the San de Cristo Mountains. Okay, it's Spanish. You know what it means? Blood of Christ Mountains. And so anyway, we had gone in there. There was a team of us, I think four or five of us, four of us, yeah, four of us. We were two climbing teams. And we went into this thing. I was an infant believer at best, at best. And we had gone in, and there's a bowl that you get into, and it's surrounded by 14,000-foot peaks. you got Kit Carson, Crestone Needle, Crestone Peak, Mount Humboldt, and I can't remember what the other, Mont Blanc. And when you get up there, we were staying above tree line. You get up there, you've got all of this majesty that is around you. And it's just, you just sit there and go, whoa, man, this is kind of cool. Okay. So we went to bed that night and preparing to climb the next day. Sometime in the middle of the night, I woke up 
And uh, I was in a thing called a bivouac bag. It's like a, <laughs> I don't know, it's just a bag you stick your sleeping bag in. And you, you don't need a tent or anything like that. Uh, when you're climbing, you don't want a lot of weight. It's just for info. <clears throat> and I got up. I was going to go to the bathroom or something. And I got up and I crawled out from under this rock thing that I was kind of under. And I looked up. Okay, now right here is Crestone Needle, 14,000 foot. There's a little saddle that goes across it. Then right here is Crestone Peak. Then a little saddle. And then there's Kit Carson. And then here's Mount Humboldt. Okay, when I got up, there was a half moon. So when I got up, you're above tree line. It is bright. I mean, you're just like, whoa, dude, this is crazy. And I got up and I looked, was looking toward the mountains. And we're going to do Crestone Needle. And I looked. And the next thing I know, this massive cloud just curls over the top of that rise between Crestone Peak and Crestone Needle. and just kind of falls down on this side and goes down the valley out of the way behind us. And I sat and watched that for probably a good hour, hour and a half. It was the wildest thing that I ever seen in my life. That is the glory of God. That's what God does. And I thought, here I am just out of the clear blue. I happen to be here right now. What does he do tomorrow? That is the glory of God. That is how God does it. The way we can praise him now in salvation is to say, look what I did. Really? You know how many people are doing that? I have accepted Jesus. Really? I know when I was in Russia, when you ask a person about their salvation, they always say the same thing. It's pretty impressive. I came to repentance. And that's the day I was saved. Listen, as the hymn writer said, none of thee, none of thee, God did it. And if God did it, that gives him the glory. If God did it, that gives him the praise. So what do we do? What is the human side of the ground of our inheritance? Do I just sit around and hope that I'm predestined? I remember an interview with Charles Spurgeon uh, for a newspaper. The uh, newspaper guy asked him, he says, well, you teach that God predetermines it. So how do you know if someone is predetermined? And Spurgeon made a joke and said, you raise up their shirt and see if there's E on their back. And of course, the reporter was anyway whatever listen understand when you look at the salvation event there's two sides okay god's side predetermined when before the foundations now i want to show you something look at verse 12 to the end that we who were what first to hope First to hope. We had to place our hope in Christ Jesus. Okay? Now listen, I watch people do all kind of weird theological gymnastics with this. And they say there's a tension in there. That can't be right. If you have to do the hoping, then how does God do the predestination? You can't have them both. I look at it and say, no, it's a balance. It's of God and we have a part in it. All right. Look at verse 13. In him, you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also what? Believed. In whom you have hoped, that hope you put the trust in. And after you heard it, guess what? You believed. Can you see the two sides of salvation? Every one of us is responsible. Every human being who's ever been born or will ever be born has a responsibility. See, God's side is predetermined. Man's side is faith, hope, and trust. 
Okay, now I'm going to challenge you today. I'm assuming you're here today because you believe you're a believer. That's fine. You know, I was born again. That's good. I was hatched. But anyway, I want to share this because this is key. How does God choose and we believe? Both exist at the same time. You know what the answer is? I don't know. I don't have a clue. One says that we've got to do something. The other one says God's already done it. So which one is it? Well, I can tell you this. That's what the Bible says. See, here's one of the things that I've learned in my years. The things I don't understand in the Bible are some of the best parts. Okay? They remind me that God wrote this book. All right? Listen, if a man writes a book, he solves everything in the book. There's things in this book I don't know. I don't have any idea. Those who try to edit Scripture can't. Because there are things that God just says. You know what? Much in this book is this simple. Thus saith the Lord. It's that simple. He didn't explain it to us. He doesn't have to explain it to us. He just says it. Now, I I want you to think about that for a second. Because I watch people struggle with stuff. Why should not a believer marry an unbeliever? They're unequally yoked. They can't serve two masters. It is that simple. Okay? And yet, it is astonishing to me to watch believers go out and marry unbelievers. So you tell me you believe? You tell me you trust? You tell me you put your hope in what? What did you put it in? What did you put it in? That is, the, that is put in Scripture to protect us. And we want to argue with it. The dumbest thing I've ever seen. Well, that's a minefield over there. I was in Israel one time and had all these signs around. We were up in Bethsaida. And we had all these signs up there that said, Mines, mines, mines. And I was like, wow, cool. So I started throwing rocks. No, <laughs> I did. <laughs> I really did. Okay, I was like, man, this is going to be cool. <laughs> so I didn't hit nothing. So, But anyway, I, I sat there and I thought, you know, you got this little fence. You got one little wire and a great big sign that says mines. Well, you know, skull and crossbones. Well, you know what? You don't have to be a rocket scientist to say, I wonder what's on the other side of that sign. You just don't go. Oh, look, over there, mines. Why? I ain't going to go near it. Why is it when God's word tells us something, we think we need to quarrel with him? Let us discuss this, Lord. Sometimes he just says, thus saith the Lord. And you know what? When it comes to his predestination and our belief, God has it completely straight. There's no question in his mind over it. Okay, I remember someone, I couldn't remember who it was, but he was talking about a sign. A sign outside of heaven that says, look to heaven, whosoever may come. And then when you get in to heaven, the back of the sign says, chosen before the foundations of the world. Okay. Listen, don't worry about how to resolve this. I can argue the Arminius viewpoint better than the Arminiist. I can argue the Calvinist viewpoints better than the Calvinist. Why? They're both true. Verse 12 is one of those verses. Because you come out of verse 11, out of, after you come out of verse 4, it says you were chosen before the foundations of the world. You were predetermined by God's purpose, God's will, but you have to believe. 
Don't worry about how to resolve it. Just know this. God gets all the credit. God gets all the credit. But we must respond in faith. God completely understands this. I don't. I can just tell you what it says. Verse 12. To the end, we who were the first to hope in Christ. Somewhere in your life, I hope, you put your hope in Jesus Christ. You believed. You trusted. Okay, but here's a kicker that is out there today that I think is uh, one of our great tragedies in this country. When you heard the word, today, this morning, right now, all over the place, there are people standing in front of crowds proclaiming the word of God, and it ain't the word of God. So ask yourself a question. How is it that I can be saved without hearing the word of God? Can't do it. You can't do it. Somewhere I hope that you hoped in Christ, that you believed in Christ, that you trust in Christ, and you did it through the word of God. There is the predetermined side. See, you know, I get this every once in a while. Well, well, if they never hear the gospel, how are they going to get saved? Got to send them somebody. This, that ain't that hard. I don't understand what, why does that seem complicated? If that person was predetermined by God before the foundation, he's going to send them a preacher. It always works that way. I, that, I, why is that so complicated? Well, I just don't, how can them people never hear? Well, maybe they weren't predetermined. <laughs> Do you see what I'm trying to get at? Why is it all of a sudden we think, well, but it's got to be through the word. There are a whole bunch of people today telling some really cool stories. But it ain't the gospel. Listen, for you and I to have faith, hope and trust. We must be hearing of the gospel. We must be believing in the gospel. We must be hoping in the Christ of the gospel. We call the gospel is the good news. But there's too many people out there who have not heard it. And then you get those who have so cluttered the truth of scripture. I don't know what they just told me. I don't have any idea what they told me. You know, and I have heard some really cool stories. But when I back away from it, I sit there and go, I don't know what they told me. I don't understand anything that they said. I don't understand where was God that you're supposed to expose me to. And I've heard some powerful preachers. And when they got done, I mean, I remember one, it was an awesome story about his wife and how he is so grateful that God made makeup. I have no idea what he was telling me about God. And I kept thinking, your wife better not be here. But it was a, it was a funny, hilarious story. And I thought, well, that's kind of cool. I know a friend of mine who is in glory right now who preached in three different churches, was senior pastor in three different churches, and it dawned on him he wasn't saved. And I was like, well, how do you do that? He'd been to seminary. He grew up in the church. He was out in the field. And it dawned on him, I ain't saved. And he says, you know what? It's really good for a church if the pastor's saved. And I thought, well, how do, you, how do you pull that off? Well, he just kept listening, but he wasn't necessarily believing. Faith comes from hearing a message about Jesus Christ. 
That's what Romans tells me. Faith comes from hearing. Faith is our response to God's elective purpose. But let me tell you something. I can look at so many today who claim the name Christian. And it doesn't take a person long. to. You don't have to spend a lot of time with somebody to understand what they put their hope in. You don't have to spend a lot of time with them to understand what they put their trust in. You don't have to spend a lot of time with them to see what they got their faith in. And you see it really quickly. And what I have found is there are people out there who may, I believe in Jesus Christ. Let me tell you something. I used to be a middle management drug dealer in the 70s. And you know what? I believed in God. I carried a Bible. Well, it was like my rabbit's foot. And I believed in God. I just looked around and said, there ain't no way. This is just a big accident. But my theology was this simple. God made all this. I'm going to enjoy as much of it as I can. Right? I didn't know anything. I never heard the message. I'd gone to church one time, and the only reason was was because there was a girl that I had this infatuation with, and I, she said, if I go to church, and I was like, well, okay, we'll, we'll do that. And then I went to it, and I said, no, I ain't going to do that. My infatuation is not that big. That they're just, nah, I'm just, nah, I ain't going to do that. But I see a lot of that today. I see people, it's one of those questions that I ask people when they ask for church membership here. I always set them down and I said, okay, are you saved? And how do you know you're saved? And this, that, and the other. And they give me all their whatever it is they're going to give me. And, and I said, okay, then tell me five things about Jesus Christ. Okay? If you know Jesus Christ, you should be able to rattle off way more than five. And let me tell you something, in my years in church leadership and as a pastor and all the rest of it, I've heard some stories. And you're like, oh, man, (laughs) you know that ain't biblical, right? Okay? And it shouldn't be hard for any Christian to name off five biblical truths about the person of Jesus Christ. And yet, you know what? I know pastors who can't do it. The ground of our inheritance has so many wonderful things for us. And let me tell you something. From God's side, it is already done. It's complete. Not only is it complete, He did it before the foundation of the world. And you know what? All He says to you and me today Believe. Believe. So when I get I get annoyed when I hear people saying they want to tell me a Bible story and then they'll talk about Jonah going fishing. Well, actually, he was bait, wasn't he? But anyway, uh, and you hear you hear all of these things, and I said uh, I've got this little burr in my saddle. That ain't a story. That's like saying the Battle of Gettysburg was a story. That is historical fact. When Moses led Israel out of Egypt, that is historical fact. Okay, and I heard all of the stuff. Well, Red Sea can be translated Reed Sea, so it was just a little bit of water, and they went across on a little bit of water. And I was like, well, did he? That means that in a little bit of water, he drowned Pharaoh's army. Either way, it's a miracle. I don't care. But see, it's immediately we think, well, I don't know. He said he built the creation in six literal days. And everybody said, well, that gets impossible. Were you there? How do you know it's impossible? If God said it's true, hey, amen. I don't have a problem with it. I'm trying to figure out why it took six days. Why didn't he just say, poof, here we go. All he wants from us 
is will you believe? Will you open the pages of this book, this wondrous book, and read of the Christ, God in human flesh, who died and rose for you? He who paid the penalty of your sin, tell Telestai, it is finished. You're not making monthly payments on your sin. It is completely done. If you will believe, you then will confirm God's elective purpose. And you enter instantly into the promises he has given. And he always keeps his promises. Now listen. Believing is our part. That should be simple. But if you don't read this, how are you going to do it? Or if you ain't exposed to preaching, how are you going to do it? God has supernaturally empowered teachers for generations that God's power is in them so he can explain it, the truths of God, to the people of God. How many people read scriptures to argue? I don't see anything like it. When I have been out of the country and you go to some of these places like Azerbaijan or Russia or whatever, you bring out a text, you lay it out there and they go, amen. They're not questioning, well, what did he mean by that? Well, I think that was had cultural relativity to it. No, if it's in there, it says, thus saith the Lord. How many want to argue? Listen, I watch so many people in the name of Christianity do spiritual gymnastics to make it comfortable. I watch so many have spiritual rituals to make it comfortable. And the, the, the thing that I find is all I have to do is believe. That's what it says. Amen. Amen. Romans chapter 10, verse 10. For with the heart, man believes unto salvation for righteousness. You have to get the information in. And once you get the information in, then you believe. And one of the things that I have found is that God is very faithful to show you you can trust him. This is what it says. I watch people, young, well, people who are single. Oh, well, I need somebody. Then I'll be full. Why ain't you read this? I'll be complete if I have what? He says, I've given you everything you need for life and godliness. The temporal and the eternal. So I'm going to ask you a question. You believe that? It's like, I remember the outbreak of AIDS. Remember the outbreak of AIDS? I don't know what we're doing with it now. I think it's, I don't know, whatever. And I remember talking to some people. I was in, down in Dallas. And I said, uh, I can cure AIDS. How are you going to do that? I said, yeah. They call it abstinence. You don't do that? It won't spread. There's a reason God said, you know, you shouldn't probably do that. Well, that's that's mean. Mean? You're going to die of AIDS and I mean. Do you see what I'm trying to get at? There's things that we don't pay attention to. John's Gospel, chapter 1, verse 12. As many as receive him, to them he gave the right to be the sons of God, even to them that believe on him. That's why I ask people five questions. Tell me five things about Jesus. Because I don't know what Jesus you think you got. If you can tell me five biblical truths about Jesus Christ, then you got the same Jesus I got. 
But there's a whole bunch of Jesuses out there, and they, only one of them is the Savior. Listen, do you see why in this text that God hates a system of religion that says you can earn your way to Him? You can earn your way to heaven? That's not true. You couldn't do it. Listen, many claim to be born again. Remember, Nicodemus, what must I do? You must be born again. Okay? And many claim that. I'm born again. I'm born again. I was born again in 1980, whatever. I was born again. Okay? But you know what I found? There's a whole bunch of people claiming to be born again who are not based on Scripture. They have no time for Scripture. They have no inclination to Scripture. And I'm trying to figure out, how are you born again and you don't care? Listen, they will manifest characteristics that you will realize are not Christ. I just had this conversation, uh, was it yesterday? Friday. I don't know. About smoking and tattoos. I don't know. I hang out with some odd people. But anyway. And I said, what about it? Well, you know, that's if you got a tattoo, that's a mark of the devil. I was like, really? What do you base that on? What are you basing that on? Did you just hear it? You know, there was a rock group in the years ago called ACDC. And everybody kept saying, Antichrist Devil Cult. That's what it means. And I'm sitting there going, what? They said, well, yeah, they're of the devil. I was like, well, I got news for It's electric current. <laughs> you have AC and you have DC current. And, oh, no, that's not right. They're devil worshipers. Really? You're just mad because they're making more money than you. Well, what if you smoke? If you smoke, that you know, that's that's you're going to hell on that one. I was like, no, but it may make you smell like you've been there, but it ain't gonna it ain't it, it ain't gonna send you to hell. Because there's nowhere in the Bible that says you you can't smoke. It ain't in there. It ain't in there. Why? These are people who says, I am born again, and I'm going to manifest a characteristic to put you under a law. People ask me, they said, well, you, you ride. Do you have any tattoos? And I said, no. And he said, why not? I said, I can't figure out what I want on me forever. <laughs> I, no, I don't, I don't have anything. That, oh, I've got to have that. And I see these people get these languages, Chinese and Hebrew and stuff like that. I was like, can you read that? And they said, no. And I said, how do you know what they put on you? <laughs> you could end up in China and they'd say, well, you are stupid. <laughs> but it, I don't I don't get into that. I, it's just, nah. And then I realized that, that I, was, uh, I had a friend who had a little t- tattoo shop. And, and I, I didn't realize it was that painful. And I mean, you know, I don't go to dentists because I pay money for pain. Why in the world would I want somebody to stick a bunch of needles in me and give them money? No. But see, these are the things that I want you to be careful of because there are people who will claim being born again and they're running around trying to tell everybody this is the commands of God. And they're not. They're not. You ever seen the grouchy Christians? I've explained them to you. Ones that are always like this, their foreheads are all wrinkled up, and they're going to make everybody go to heaven one way or the other. And and I I, I remember when I st- first started running into those people, it dawned on me. I was like, whatever they've got, I hope is not contagious. Because, you know what? If you don't want to go to heaven, fine. <laughs> That's, I, pff, knock yourself out. I can't get you in there. I had a bus driver in Israel one time who was a Bedouin. And he said, uh, they tell me you're a pastor. And I said, yeah, I am. And he says, why aren't you getting, trying to get me saved? I said, I can't save anybody. He said, what? He says, every time I deal with a pastor, they all want to get me saved. I was like, well, good. But I can't save anybody. 
See what I mean? We do things that don't make sense. There are so many who manifest characteristics that are not the characteristics of Christ. They confuse the issue. A true Christian, a true Christian is one who simply isn't trying to earn his way to heaven because he knows that he can't. In Romans, by deeds of the flesh shall no one be justified. You know, as a pastor, people always come and tell me what I should be doing. And, uh, you know, we've got this ministry opportunity. You should do this or you should do that. And uh, I always have the same response. If God's laid it on your heart, then it's for you because it's not on mine. (laughs) I don't need anything else to do. Do you realize that my primary concern is the word and prayer or prayer in the word? And do you realize how much time that takes? I don't need that. I don't need people telling me what my walk should look like. I read this book and it tells me that I need to decrease and he needs to increase. You know what? If you're really theologically truthful, the easiest thing on the planet is to be a believer in Jesus Christ. Because the only thing you have to do is believe. Now, I didn't say it wasn't going to be a battle. But if you really think about it, God's already done it. He's going to give you the power to overcome. He's going to give you the strength to be comforted. He's going to give you the strength to be a counselor. He's going to give you the strength to walk as his son walked. But you have to believe. Well, hey, man, what about work, service, and stuff like that? What about it? Listen, I will get into detail on works in chapters 3 through 6. But if you haven't got the first three done, don't worry about the second three. Because if you don't understand what your resources are, and you don't understand what you've been blessed with, you don't understand what God has already done, then you're going to make a whole bunch of people miserable trying to do what's in the last three chapters. Always works that way. Listen, when I think about service, when I think about Christians, we sing that song, they'll know we are Christians by our love. Here's the problem with that. Too many of us try to do the love, and God's already poured the love of God into our hearts. Romans 5.5. 5. And so we try to do it, and then when it doesn't go exactly the way we want it to, the love thins. Because you're trying to manifest that love. And you can't do it. If you could do it, then he didn't need to die for you. The efforts that you see in people who are serving the king are effortless. They're effortless. Why? It ain't your power source. The efforts you see in someone who is serving is a response to their faith. Their faith. Listen, that's one of the things I try to get people to understand. Do you understand? It is easy to see what people put their faith in. Have you ever just seen them people that just nothing bothers them? Why? Because they are only here as a pilgrim and they're just passing through. See, there's two elements in the ground of our salvation. But the two elements have huge differences. In Christ is the ground of our inheritance. In Christ is God's predetermined purpose. But also in Christ, ours is our personal faith. I've I've tried to explain this to my wife over the decades with our kids. That... Our faith, mine and my wife's faith, cannot save our children. 
My faith can't save anybody. My faith is where I am at this point in my life with the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Your faith is where you are right now with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. All right? I cannot impute my faith to you. All right? But you know what? God bless you. You cannot impute your faith to me. Many have tried. It don't work. I read what it says, and I'll be honest with you. There were years and years. I read this thing every every day. And I have now for 35 years. And I remember early when I'd read it and argue. Well, that's sort of dumb. Okay? And then, and then he said, no, you're dumb. But anyway. Uh, but, but these are the things I want you to understand. When you say you're a Christian, then you say you put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, is that where your hope is? Because, see, faith and hope are the same coin. One side you got faith, the other you got hope. And you can tell what people hope in. That is the ground of our inheritance. That is the ground of our inheritance. God's predetermined purpose and man's personal faith. And it all has to come from the gospel of salvation. You did not wake up one day and invent God. Okay? I see a lot of people. But I've made this statement, and I'll close with this thought. I want you to think about this. We will live our lives to the size of our God. To the size of our God. What you know about God is how you're going to live your life. Okay? If your God is an itty-bitty guy, that's how you're going to live your life. If you go into this book, people ask me, what is your favorite tool for studying Scripture? That's easy. Simple. You know what it is? Prayer. I have the author indwelling my spirit, and I have his word here on these pages. So every time I get into it, the first thing I say is, Teach me now. And don't let me miss anything. Okay? Listen, brothers and sisters. Some of you I've known for an awful long time. And you know that the only reason I'm where I'm at right now is because I read my Bible. That's the only reason. My hope ain't in what's going on around here. My hope ain't in our new president or our old president. My hope ain't in our government, state, local, whatever. I don't care about fracking and I don't care about silver and gold prices. I care about what does my king want me to do. I start every day with this phrase. May my hands be about your work and my feet be on your path. Instead of saying, hey, God, I'm going to go over here. Follow. No, man. There's too many people do that. No, man. Brothers and sisters, your faith is seen because it's directly proportionate to what you put your hope in. My hope is in the Lord Jesus Christ and uh, his imminent return. All the rest of it's a piece of cake. All the rest of it is a piece of cake. Please join with me in prayer. Father, we come before you, the author and the finisher. Father, help us. Help us to have ears to hear. And then, Father, I think about we are celebrating Father's Day today, and yet we call you our Father. What a concept. Lord, help us. Help us to grasp that that is almost 
unattainable. But Father, may we allow your word to master us and not us master your word. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for this section. Thank you for the Apostle Paul and his faithfulness. And thank you for this church in Ephesus who received the warp and the woof of Christianity. Help us, Lord. Help us to understand that we're listening to the message of truth is the gospel of our salvation. We love you and we thank you in Christ's name.